Blog Talk Radio. for who we are. To fit in the norm, but we all know that's not true, man, because when someone is as different as, say, a Dean Ambrose, well, someone would rather spit on them than throw a dollar in their direction. And I understand that, because I walk the same wire. Dean Ambrose admits to his sins. He knows that he is a sinner. And he is. And so is Daddy. Wasn't he, Dean? Daddy was a dirty little rotten sinner. And that's where you learned it. That's where you picked it all up from. But society says the same thing about sin. Isn't that what you were taught in school? Sin, sin, sin. But you ought to be forgiven. But this is another lie that they teach you. Dean Ambrose, there's no going back for you. Self-destruct all you want. But I know what your future is because I know the only way. Is my way. You think you've seen a lot in your life and all these horrible things have happened to me. Poor Dean Ambrose. But believe me, boy, you have never seen real evil. 
I am sin. And if gods and monsters and devils walked this earth, they would part oceans to walk away from me. You have a choice, team. You walk with me and enjoy the path of righteousness. Or you walk away and you will burn for it. Thus is the law of our society. And a good evening, everybody, and thank you for choosing King Jordan Radio for Tuesday, November 11th, 2014. This is King Jordan you're listening to. Tonight on the wrestling show, we'll discuss CM Punk, SmackDown News, Raw Recap, and much, much more. Here to discuss this uh and much, much more with us is our wrestling insider out of Chicago. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Double J, JJ. Good evening, JJ, and welcome back to King Jordan Radio. How are you? Hey, King, great to be on. You know, again, so much to talk about. Raw, of course, in the United Kingdom, a big show. Uh, also, uh, they ran a special on the WWE Network that aired afterwards that uh, it was a special tribute. It looked towards ECW, and they called it ECW Exposed, and it featured Paul Heyman and Joey Styles really having an in-depth look at ECW, and I'll get into that later. Uh, as you mentioned, so much to talk about. We were just talking last week, in fact, about SmackDown and how we haven't heard anything about it being moved to uh, Thursday night, and uh, maybe maybe they decided not to go through with it. But now, of course, they just confirmed that it is, so we'll get about when the change will happen. Uh, so much to talk about. It's just uh, going to be a great show. Uh, no question about it. And let's start with that and... Uh... It seems that uh, SmackDown will begin the new year uh, on a Thursday. What's the latest on that? Well, before you do that, let's see if we have uh, another uh, guest with us. Okay, let's go over to line three. Who do we got? Blackjack, Dominic? Your line is open. How are you? Hello, Blackjack. King. Brother JJ, King. How are you guys? Doing good, Everything brother goes. Black. Okay. okay. We got the echo going on or not? Are we good? Nope. Yes. Okay. Uh, let's uh, let's start off with the uh, the new SmackDown time and date. Yes, of course, on Sci-Fi, of course, we watch Friday Night SmackDown, but starting in 2015, January 15th to be exact, SmackDown will, in fact, move to Thursday night, and uh, that I guess that might mean that NXT, which usually is Thursday night, will most likely move to Wednesday night. I'm not sure what they're going to do with NXT, but it is confirmed now that SmackDown will be moving to Thursday night's starting January 15th, 2015. So it's a big move. It's finally happened. We've, we've been hearing rumblings about it all summer long, but now it's official. Unbelievable. And uh, we thought it would come earlier, but nonetheless, it's come. It, it is, uh, it's officially on the uh, website now. And uh, what do you think is bring bringing more viewership, J.J.? 
Well, I really hope so. You know, Friday night's a, a very busy time. You know, everyone, uh, you have the whole week just kind of ends and you're run down. You want to go out. You want to have a good time. People and their friends going out, uh, you and your spouses, your girlfriend, your wife, whatever, you want to go out on Friday night. It's, you know, date night. It's movie night. So it's it's really hard if you're a wrestling fan when you have you want to hang out with your buddies, you want to hang out with your girlfriend. You know, it's hard to sit there. You have to DVR wrestling or whatever. It's just it's kind of a pain in the ass, really. So I think I hope, at least for their sake, that SmackDown uh, being on Thursday night, it gives people an opportunity to really watch it. Because every now and then a lot of people will say SmackDown's a throwaway show. It's not even worth watching. But I think hopefully this move will will initiate a new change for the WWE. And I think we're going to have a new announced team as well. Uh, you know, right now they have JBL, they have Michael Cole, and they just uh, they just brought up Tom Phillips, who's been doing announcing for SmackDown. But I think we might even see either Tom Phillips and maybe Brian Saxton. We should see a fresh face for SmackDown, something that makes it feel like it's new again and that you have to see it and that has a good sound for this current generation of fans. So I'm hoping that there are big things in store that SmackDown can be what it used to be when it first started almost 10, over 10 years ago. And it was, you know, almost beating raw in the ratings. So uh, I really hope we get back to, I don't know if we'll get back to it beating raw, but I hope that it gets to be a more prominent uh, part of WWE. Now, of course, uh, uh, a lot of people like the move, but uh, they will be going up uh, not only against NBA on Thursdays on TNT, but NFL football also will be on, and that goes to the uh, 20s sometimes. And, uh, well, the, uh, for, and NBA stays in the, the high fives, but uh, we will see that it wasn't doing so well on the Thursdays. But uh, also we got some breaking news on Jim Ross and Jeff Jarrett, right? Yeah, that is correct. You know, uh, we all know that uh, Jeff Jarrett will be launching uh, Global Force Wrestling. That also will be starting uh, in January, and they have their first major pay-per-view January 4th. But the one thing we haven't heard a lot about, they're bringing in new talent, of course. There's a partnership with New Japan. But who will be the voice of GFW, Global Force Wrestling? And it was just announced. Jim Ross, believe it or not, he confirmed Jim Jim Ross, good old JR, will be the lead announcer for Jeff Jarrett's Global Force Wrestling. So that is a big deal. I mean, longtime wrestling fans will know that, you know, Jim Ross is a voice of a generation of wrestling fans. I mean, uh, his days in WCW, of course, in the WWE, the Attitude Era, I mean, Jim Ross really is wrestling, so he's going to be a very familiar voice. It'll be very exciting to hear him calling the action for Jeff Jarrett's uh, GFW, and it should be great, and it should be a, a lot of nostalgia for fans who, you know, we always uh, pick on, you know, Michael Cole and JBL and Jerry Lawler that they're not always doing the best that they possibly could be on Raw every week. So it will be interesting to hear Jim Ross uh, calling action again, uh, it should be a real treat for wrestling fans. So I'm looking forward to it. That's uh, big news. Just announced today, November 11th, and Jeff, of course, made the announcement at 11.11 a.m. <laughs> that is a big name to get. And the uh, question is, who will follow Jim Ross? Yes, that's, a, that's a good question. 
Uh, it hasn't been announced who will be the color commentator, who will be his broadcast partner, but you can only imagine uh, anyone sitting next to uh, Jim Ross. I mean, it, it should be really great, uh, whether or not it will be a big familiar name or somebody new uh, who maybe JR can school in. But uh, it should be very exciting uh, in the next couple of months that they make more announcements about their January 4th show, which is called Wrestle Kingdom 9. Where is that going to do it? Is that in Tokyo? I believe so. I believe it. it, it uh, I believe it is in Tokyo. A hell of a start. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is a partnership with New Japan. Literally starting out with a bang. Now, uh, finishing up with the uh, 2K, uh, I believe you uh, have finished uh, and completed the uh, 2K. And maybe for our video game listeners, uh, you could tell us uh, some parts, maybe uh, how it was being Shawn Michaels and things of that magnitude. Why don't you bring us up to date on that? Yeah, well, you know, a lot of fans have gone on social media and they talked about how the uh, WWE 2K15 video game, the showcase mode, maybe not as great as the ones in past games that featured the Attitude Era or the 30 years of WrestleMania. This year's uh, showcase featured the feud between uh, Shawn Michaels and Triple H. It was called Best Friends, Bitter Enemies, in which you can play 14 matchups that uh, take place between, I want to say, uh, about August uh, August 2002. So August SummerSlam 2002 when Shawn Michaels made his return to the ring. I think if you could remember that far back, of course, Shawn Michaels suffered a terrible back injury and he was gone for several years. And he made his return and he wrestled, of course, his best friend, Triple H. And the idea uh, going into this big match, and it was really cool about the 2K Showcase, is that they show you these video highlights and the footage, everything that leads up to the particular match that you will play out. So the match between Shawn Michaels and Triple H, SummerSlam uh, in 2002, you actually see the, the video, actual video footage of what led to this match. And, of course, when Shawn Michaels came back and you know he dressed up uh, like D-Generation X, and they were having, you know, a good time, and all of a sudden Triple H turned on them and did the pedigree, and he, you know, it had this big uh, angle, and then who hit Shawn Michaels? You know, I almost forgot about that, and there was a time where Michaels was in a wheelchair, and he was actually at WWF New York, and actually showed footage of uh, Shawn at the WWF New York, and it was just like so many little things that maybe I forgot about, or... And it was, it was just really great for the relive those uh, memories. And to, of course, play the match is a lot of fun, and you have to recreate the match and everything that goes on during the match. And there's just so many matchups, uh, matches that I completely forgot about. There was another match that took place in October of 2002, and it featured a casket match between Kane and Triple H. And of course, this was after uh, Triple H's SummerSlam match in which he defeated uh, Michaels, and he took a sledgehammer. and Or no, Michaels, uh, were, well, Triple H did, used a sledgehammer to take Shawn Michaels out of commission, and we thought that that would be the end of Shawn Michaels. And then, of course, Kane would start feuding with Triple H, and there was that whole Katie Vick storyline. And I was shocked that they even mentioned Katie Vick in the video game. I thought WWE wouldn't acknowledge that at all. I thought that was something that they wouldn't talk about. But in the video game, because historically, 
this is what was going on, they mentioned it. Of course, they didn't show it, but they did mention during the gameplay Jim Rahr. Actually, that's funny. Of course, back then it was Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler who were the announcers, but because this is the video game and JR is no longer a contract to WWE, they actually have Michael Cole and Jerry Lawler recreate the announcing of those matches. So you're hearing Michael Cole call the action and doing, you know, saying all the things that you did. He's trying to tell uh, the story of the match, and it's just so it's so funny how strange it is to hear Michael Cole call the action of those classic matches that, of course, we remember Jr. calling. But, uh, again, very interesting. And, you, of course, during that casket match between Kane and Triple H, of course, Shawn Michaels came out of the casket and super kicked Triple H. Uh, there were more matches like that. And, of course, uh, one of the big moments was the first ever Elimination Chamber matchup. That took place at Survivor Series uh, in November 2002. The first ever Elimination Chamber between Shawn Michaels, uh, Triple H, uh, Chris Jericho, Kane, Booker T, and Rob Van Dam, and you have to play through the Elimination Chamber match. So, I mean, it's just a lot of fun. And, of course, that was when Sean uh, won the World Heavyweight Championship for the first time. And uh, it was a big moment. You know, we never thought Sean would be back in the ring again. And to see him win the first world title was a very special moment for the fans. So you get to relive that moment in the game. And they even showed a, a, the first and only encounter, at least to my knowledge, between Shawn Michaels and Rob Van Dam. Shawn Michaels and Rob Van Dam did wrestle on a Monday Night Raw that was, took place November 2002, and it was for the World Heavyweight Championship. It was their only one-on-one -on -one encounter, and of course it was interrupted by Triple H, of all people. But uh, it was just great to see that, because I almost forgot about that matchup, that it even took place. Michaels, RVD, I mean, a dream matchup between longtime ECW fans and, of course, WWE fans. Who would have ever thought we would have seen those two in the ring together against each other? Uh, Where was that a, a match really at? Cool. Where was that, that match at? That match, uh, I believe it does mention where in the video game. Uh, off the top of my head, uh, I, I couldn't yeah. tell you. But, uh, yeah, it, it really did happen. It was November 25th, 2002, and it was Monday Night Raw. So uh, it was a, very, a great moment. Uh, more matches like Triple H and Rob Van Dam where Shawn Michaels was the referee, and it was a number one contendership. Uh, matches between Shawn Michaels and Ric Flair. I mean, of course, we all remember the WrestleMania matchup in which Shawn ended Ric Flair's career, but earlier in 2002... Sean Michael, or actually 2003. 2003. Let me see if we have uh, Dominic Valente with us here. Let's go over to line three. Dominic, is that you? Yeah, I'm here. What's up, guys? What's up, Brother Dominic? Okay. How you doing? Brother Dom, how are you? Doing good, doing good, JJ and Blackjack, King. Okay, great. All right, JJ, please continue. Of course, uh, the Bad Blood pay-per-view I was getting toward uh, Ric Flair, Shawn Michaels in 2003 actually squared off in which, you know, Flair was trying to see whether or not he could still hang with Shawn Michaels and Triple H and uh, encouraged him to take him on. And it was just uh, really great to see that uh, footage, the footage that they played in the game and, of course, being able to play the matchup. And then, of course, the the 
formation of evolution. They talked about how evolution came together, Batista and Randy Orton, and how they joined forces with Flair and Triple H. And one of the people who challenged evolution back in 2003, Shawn Michaels. And Shawn Michaels had various matchups between Batista and, of course, Orton. And uh, just really a great uh, just nostalgia to just witness and watch the video footage and to play the actual matchups. And it's just unbelievable the amount of matches that Shawn Michaels and Triple H had from 2002 going all the way to about 2004. They had last man uh, standing matchups, and eventually it led to one of their final uh, matchups that was Hell in the Cell. Hell in the Cell, which appeared at a... Bad Blood pay-per-view, June 2004. It would be the last time you would see Shawn Michaels and Triple H one-on-one in the ring. And uh, it's just a great rivalry. And, of course, we all know what happened afterwards. And they even showed videos of what happened to Shawn Michaels and Triple H after their long-storied feud and how they went to the reformed D-Generation X how they challenged the McMahons and how Michaels, you know, ended Flair's career and how Undertaker ended Michaels' career and how Triple H went on to face, you know, Brock Lesnar and become the COO and the authority. So that really highlights their careers from 2002, their rivalry, and where they ended up. So it's, it's really fascinating. And that was just one of the 2K showcases. The other 2K showcase featured 19 matches, that you could play between CM Punk and John Cena. And it was called Hustle, Loyalty, and Disrespect. And one of the things that I enjoyed about this showcase was them showing, again, just the the video footage. This is something I I completely forgot about because I think we all remember the Money in the Bank matchup in 2011 between Punk and Cena. But what led to that matchup? And it was actually a number one contendership that Punk wrestled Alberto Del Rio and Rey Mysterio. And it was because Punk right. beat Del Rio and Mysterio that eventually led up coming the number one contender and facing Cena at the Money in the Bank pay-per-view. And again, just playing the match and hearing, even though it's not real, it's just the fans uh, in the video game, the audio, but hearing them chant for CM Punk just like it was at uh, Allstate Arena in Chicago and just having those the same similar matchup and trying to emulate what happened for real in the video game, it's just it's a lot of fun. And then it just goes on, and they even had when Punk walked out, of course, when he took the title and ran, and then when they had a, the tournament to crown a new WWE champion in which Rey Mysterio won, and you have the next matchup, which features Rey Mysterio defending his WWE title between John Cena, which eventually led to Cena regaining the WWE title, which then brought CM Punk back to WWE television. And now we have two WWE champions, which then, of course, led up to the SummerSlam matchup to crown the undisputed WWE champion. And they even have uh, Triple H in the video game acting as the referee in the matchup between Punk uh, and Cena. So, again, it's just it's unbelievable the attention to detail and then paying attention to just all just the little tidbits that went on during their matchups and to, again, just reliving and recreating those matches and to make it feel special and just to, to relive some of those matches that, you know, maybe you forgot about. I mean, Punk and Cena really had a storied 
uh, feud or rivalry from 2011 all the way to 2013. I mean, it was just these guys for about two and a half years, and they had nonstop matchups. Uh, of course, when Punk took on uh, Cena at that SummerSlam pay-per-view, that was when Kevin Nash came back into the picture. And when Alberto Del Rio cashed in his money in the bank, and they're actually in the game. They're showing, you know, Del Rio run down the aisle with a briefcase and, you know, cashing it in and beating Punk for the title. And it's just, it's just kind of fun to relive and to see that play out in the video game form as they mix the video game form and the graphics to actual, you know, live footage and audio. And it's just uh, really amazing. Of course, we remember the feud that went on between uh, Punk and the well, it wasn't the authority then, but it was Punk and John Laurinaitis and Punk and Kevin Nash and Punk and Triple H and to the Night of Champions matchup that Punk and Triple H had in uh, was it September 2011. Of course, Cena challenged Del Rio for the WWE title. And, of course, then that led to a Hell in a Cell match, having a Hell in a Cell match and playing as Del Rio and defeating Cena and Punk. And then, of course, we go on to the Survivor Series of 2011, which faced Punk challenging Del Rio for the WWE title, which was the start of his 434 days as champion, which did take place in, I believe, New York. And uh, just seeing the rivalries and seeing guys like the Big Show and how Big Show and Daniel Bryan were in the picture and how they were brought into the main event and feuding with Punk. And, of course, they were in triple threat matches with John Cena and it's just, again, amazing to see because some of this I completely forgot. Like, how did Big Show get in the main event between Punk and Cena? But yet, if you play the game, it'll show you the video footage of how Big Show, you know, found his way into the title picture and all these matches that took place on Monday Night Raw. And, of course, uh, the tag matches between Punk and Cena, Big Show and Brian. And it was just uh, just uh, the formation of uh, Brian and Kane and the Yes Hell No, or Team Hell No. And uh, again, there was led to when the Raw 1000, when The Rock made his return and uh, CM Punk did the clothesline to The Rock, you'll see, you know, CM Punk, you know, you'll clothesline The Rock in the game. And it's something that uh, it's just amazing to see. And there was a match where they want you to recreate. It was a tag match between uh, Punk and Cena in which Punk was emulating John Cena. Again, something I completely forgot about. Punk did uh, Cena's signature moves, so you had to do Cena's signature moves at CM Punk. You had to do his shoulder block. You had to do that backdrop slam. You had to do the five-knuckle shuffle. And then you have to uh, Cena tags Punk in, and then you see Cena doing Punk's signature moves, doing the uh, corner clothesline into the running bulldog, doing the GTS, and these were all things that actually took place on Monday Night Raw that, you know, maybe you forgot about, but you're reliving it through the video game. And uh, it's just, again, a lot of fun, and it takes you through their history when Punk turned heel, and then all of a sudden he had the rematch uh, with Cena at Night of Champions. This time, of course, uh, before Money in the Bank was in Punk's home turf of Chicago, the Night of Champions pay-per-view in 2012 was in John Cena's home turf. And uh, Punk at the time, because there was a rivalry between uh, New York and Boston, 
Punk had the Yankees gear on that pay-per-view, if you remember. So even in the video game, you'll see Punk dressed up in that sort of Yankee gear of his and, you know, facing John Cena. So, again, the level of detail in making sure that everything fit the actual moments that went on during that time, again, it's it's really great, and I have to commend them because they could have just slapped any old trunks on CM Punk. But, again, the level of detail uh, the SummerSlam matchup between uh, Big Show and Cena that took place uh, in 2012 as well, in which Punk wore Bret the Hitman Hart-inspired uh, ring gear, the pink and black. So, again, let the attention to detail. They really focus on capturing all those special moments, even in the video game. And even the Hell in the Cell matchup between Punk and Ryback uh, in 2012, in which uh, Ryback replaced Cena, who was hurt, and uh, to even when Punk lost the title to The Rock, and you you relive that Royal Rumble pay-per-view in which the you know the Shield basically cost you know Punk the 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 title, and they had to restart the match. So you even see the Shield in the video game. So I mean, it's just uh, it's just really cool to re you know just to relive those moments again. And of course, that eventually ended when uh, he had his rematch with The Rock at the Elimination Chamber pay-per-view in 2013, and it led to the final match in the story between Punk and uh, John Cena, which was on Monday Night Raw. That was February 25th, 2013. It was for the Royal Rumble spot that Cena had just won the month before and to challenge The Rock in the main event of WrestleMania. And you had to relive that match, and I completely forgot that John Cena, you know, did a hurricane Rana. He did a suicide dive to CM Punk. And, of course, uh, you know, CM Punk delivering the band Piledriver. And you have to do the Piledriver in the video game to, you know, John Cena. So it's just, just really amazing. And it goes on to say that, you know, they would never face each other again. I mean, it tried to say up to date that, it didn't really say Punk's not with the company anymore, but it did say that that was the last time and perhaps the last time we will ever see Punk versus John Cena. And it went how Punk would go on to challenge The Undertaker at WrestleMania, how Cena would regain the WWE Championship from The Rock. So it's just uh, incredible the, the amount of content and just the history that you know, Punk Cena had, and of course, Triple H and Shawn Michaels had. And it's just a lot of fun. If you're a fan, if you have any nostalgia, whether it was uh, CM Punk Cena rivalry from 2011 to 2013, or something like Shawn Michaels and Triple H from 2002 to 2004, uh, it's just a, a lot of great memories. And uh, if you're a true fan, I think you'll enjoy reliving those memories in the game. How would you compare this year's? Uh, to last year's JJ. Well, as I said, a lot of fans, you know, they they have their critics. Some love uh, WWE 13, which featured the Attitude Era. Some love uh, 2K14, which featured the 30 years of WrestleMania. And of course, this year featured the 2K Showcase between Punk Cena and uh, Michaels and Triple H. Again, they're all, even though they're all kind of similar in the fact that you know these guys were in all those games for the most part. You know, it's it's different, and it's good to be different because you don't want to rehash the same thing over and over again. You know, they're trying to deliver new content, so I really appreciate the content that was in this game. I think they made a lot of effort to uh, make improvements on this version, 
even though this version uh, isn't, I wouldn't say it's the best version to get because now, of course, we have the PS4, we have the Xbox One, which their uh, 2K15 release date will be next Tuesday, November 18th. And that is the premium edition that you must buy. Well, that game will be even better than this game because this game is meant for the old generation. There are some things that weren't as polished uh, as I would have liked, but uh, I do believe that the 2K15 that you have to get will be for the next generation console that comes out next week. That is the game that they worked really hard on. It's the one that, as I mentioned last week, will feature where you can take a picture of your own face, put your face in the video game so that you can play as you. And it's not just some crappy like, oh, well, you got you know, brown hair, brown eyes, so it's a generic. No, this is literally your face in the game. I mean, it's, it is an unbelievable first-ever feature for the uh, WWE series, the first time 2K has been doing this. So it's really exciting, and it's something that you just have to see and, and get and play. So uh, definitely, I think 2K15 takes uh, a lot. It takes you know the steps in the right direction. Uh, the the PS3 and Xbox 360 version, but the one you really got to get is the next generation consoles, which comes out next week on the PS4 and Xbox One. On how many stars would you give it? Out of ten. Well, I guess. Yeah. On the PS3, uh, Xbox 360, I think, uh, without a doubt, three and a half stars. I think it's a real solid, good game. As I said before, I do believe the next generation will be a lot better. But uh, this game, I think there are are improvements. It's a really good, solid game. It's a lot of fun. And that's really what it's all about at the end of the game. This is a video game. It's a game. It's meant to be fun, and you have it, and you have a good time. So I think if you play it, you'll have a good time. I'd rather okay, get the uh, network nine ninety nine or nine ninety five. I'd rather get the game or the the network. <laughs> what do you think, Dominic? Nah, the network I ain't getting. I would never get that. They're not showing stuff I you, that's old enough. I, it, 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 you'll be surprised. You gotta go in the vault, and there's certain stuff you, you could uh, ring up uh, of, of uh, nineteen eighty nine and two thousand and fourteen. Uh, it, it goes. Uh, until 1978, you got a couple of Bruno matches in there. Yeah, but I want to go back to the 70s. They got a couple of matches in there. In 72, there's a couple of 1972 Madison Square Garden matches, a couple from Boston Gardens. You would love it. Maybe each of their own. Everybody Me, I think uh, I, I find better stuff on YouTube. Today I found Junkyard Dog dressed as uh, Stagger Lee. I found where Ted DiBiase <laughs> and Hacksaw Jim Duggan broke up. I saw um, Mr. Wrestling 2 as a bad guy after he dis- after he started taking Magnum TA under his wing, and he he turned heel. And I saw the assassins try to take the mask off of Mr. Wrestling 2, and... Uh, Mr. Wrestling 1 ran out to make the save, and they wound up having a fight in the ring. Wrestling 1 and 2 against the Masked Assassins. That would be probably one of the downfalls of the network. I like stuff like that, like that old as well. Yep. Classic kind of clever guys. Yeah. Okay, uh, Dominic, 
we'll go to Dominic for the birthdays and a raw recap. But before that, I want to give a shout out to one of our favorite listeners, Stuart for Brooklyn. Yeah, he's on on all those uh, network videos as well. The Manhattan Center with the Bob Backlund stuff. Absolutely. King, let me ask so, uh, you. Something. Where do you where do you advertise your podcast so that people can call in and ask questions while we're doing this? Oh, they could go to Facebook dot com. Right. Forward slash King Jordan Radio. Oh, okay. And they could call up while we're doing this and ask us yeah, questions. Yeah, or they could leave messages with you if they like. You know. Well, you know, on my Twitter, anything, anything oh, right. I thought people could call in live and we could hear from people out there. We well, sometimes we do have that, but the with the wrestling, it 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 hasn't been pumping up as of late. Oh, okay. But let's hope that changes. All right, today's wrestler's birthdays: Crystal Marshall, the gorgeous former wife of Bobby Lashley. We got Matt Capitelli. He no longer wrestles because of the uh, concussion stuff. From Nelson Torres, WTF show. Jay Gillette and Jason DeCutesis. We got Rapid Delivery, Rory Fox. Elusive Tony. And the original black lady, Black Venus. Jeannie Kirkland, I think her name was, from back in the day. Yeah. Yep. Uh, celebrities, we got Arthur Kurt Vonnegut, Chris, uh, actress Krista Flockhart, Leonardo DiCaprio, Demi Moore, and comedian Jonathan Winters. Oh, the wow. day in wrestling history, and this is the stuff I like. November 11th, 1985, Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert and the Nightmare under the mask, who was Moondog Rex defeated Wendell Cooley and the Latin heartthrob Al Perez in New Orleans, Louisiana, to win the Mid-South Tag Team titles. Al Al Perez, one of the Latino guys, really that never got as much coverage as he should have. I think he should have been a lot better. Wendell Cooley also, but we all know about Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert, how great he was, and... Moondog Rex, Randy Cully, he's had a lot of different gimmicks, a lot of different identities. He was briefly in the WWF, or WWF back in the day, as Ripper Ronnie Hawkins for a few tapings. Then he left and came back as one of the Moondogs. Unbelievable. And he was one of the guys back in the day that was dressed all in black when they were doing the Black Scorpion gimmick. And the one night they had Sting going crazy, and about 50 different guys came from out of the locker room, all different sizes and shapes, as all dressed the same, just to make Sting go out of his mind. Great stuff. Can Can you give us the Raw recap and some commentary with that? Yeah, you know, I actually enjoyed Raw this week. It was a better show than I anticipated it would be. Um, I did read the spoilers because they were over in England, but I like what they're doing with Ryback right now. So this is what it was. Where's my, where's my noticias? All right, here it is. 
Lillian Garcia opened up the show singing God Save the Queen, but they didn't show that on television. They open up with John Cena coming out and cutting a promo about Survivor Series, and he announces that Dolph Ziggler is on his team, and he has added Jack Swagger. And they put Jack Swagger against Seth Rollins later on. John Cena, meanwhile, then calls out Ryback, and they talk about the main event, which is Cena against Ryback. And as they're doing that, um, Triple H leads the entire authority out, as usual, and Mark Henry is is with them. And Stephanie puts Mark Henry against Dolph Ziggler for, for later on in the night. Both teams seem to want Ryback on, on, on their team. He attacks John Cena and joins Team Authority. Seth Rollins defeated Jack Swagger, and this I really didn't see. I was in the uh, I was in another room, but from what I gather, Swagger is off Team Cena because he got the curb stomp. Then wow. we see Dean Ambrose on the big screen talking about taking out Bray Wyatt, uh, taking Bray Wyatt to hell at Survivor Series. Backstage, then we see Kane giving a pep talk to Ryback. Ryback don't seem to be worried, and basically he's telling Kane to mind his own business. Paige defeated Alicia Fox, typical uh, Divas match. Then we see Stephanie telling Rusev and Lana, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. And they want Rusev on Team Authority, and Lana says, we'll think about it. Sheamus interrupts. Rusev and Lana, while they're in the ring, celebrating the U.S. title victory during the Russian National Anthem, which is playing, which takes us to Rusev with Lana, defeating Sheamus to retain the U.S. title, one with an assist from the authority, and then Rusev joins Team Authority. The Miz and Damian Sandow came out with Hornswoggle, all three of them dressed the same, really stupid, getting really tired of this angle. Anyway, they beat Los Matadores um, with with Torito. Then we see John Cena meeting with Dolph Ziggler, and Triple H shows up, bans John Cena from ringside when Dolph takes on Mark Henry. And we got Dolph Ziggler defeating Mark Henry on a DQ when Mark Henry used a chair. Big Show then makes the save, and Big Show says he's on Team Cena. Backstage is Sheamus. He says he's on Team Cena. A.J. Lee won over Brie Bella, and Nikki attacked A.J. after the match because Brie told her to. And backstage, Team Authority welcomes Mark Henry on their team. Tyson Kidd defeated Adam Rose. The Bunny distracted Adam Rose, and then Adam Rose beat the Bunny up. Getting tired of that, too. After the match, Eric Rowan shows up at ringside and saying, she's not here. And then he disappears through the crowd, so you wonder what he's doing out there. John Cena won over Ryback on a disqualification due to Kane. And Ryback and Kane then had words. Seth Rollins tries to be the voice of reason, getting in between the two of them. And Ryback then knocks out Rollins. Um, Kane gets knocked out by Ryback. Team Authority then beats up on Cena, 
rest of the team Cena runs in. Ryback comes back out and runs off Team Authority, but leaves on his own. So is he going to be on Team Cena? Triple H and Stephanie, they're backstage watching on the monitor, and all of a sudden we see Dolph Ziggler come flying into the room, and right behind him is Luke Harper. And he says, I'm a team player. So Luke Harper is now officially on Team Authority. And that was Monday Night Raw. They already taped SmackDown, but I don't want to give you the spoilers. Because people want to watch it without knowing what's going to be on. Well, well, I'll put it, if you have the spoilers, uh, let's give the audience uh, about 20 seconds to put the phone down. And, uh, you know... Let's see if it's interesting. All right, let me know when. Let's go about in a five, four, three, two. Okay, this is for SmackDown airing this Friday night on the Sci-Fi Network. All right, Chris Jericho's highlight reel. His guests are Triple H and Stephanie. And we hear a lot of chants, where's our network? Where's our network? Then there's a promo by Vince McMahon, which might not air on TV, putting the bad mouth on Liverpool, England. Bray Wyatt wins over Sin Cara, and there's an aftermatch promo by Bray Wyatt, and Dean Ambrose then comes out. Bray Wyatt leaves before Ambrose can get a, get a hold of him, and he's up on the stage and he's laughing at it. Goldust and Stardust defeated Adam Rose and the Bunny. Jesus Christ almighty. I wish I was making this up. Dolph Ziggler then wins a three-way elimination match over Tyson Kidd and Cesaro. Tyson Kidd eliminated Cesaro first, and then Dolph won eliminating uh, Tyson Kidd. Natalia beat Layla, and Ryback defeated Kane on a DQ when Kane used a chair. Team Authority, all of them was at ringside. Um... Ryback was dragged back into the ring and got a beatdown. But Ryback fought back, hit the shell shocked on Kane, and that was the end of the show. Now, a lot of people missed Raw because there was a SmackDown house show on Monday night. And the people that weren't at SmackDown on Tuesday, they were at a Raw house show on Tuesday because the tour is going on. So they tried to split the guys up as best as they could. So that we can get guys on both shows, whether it's uh, Raw, Raw, SmackDown, or the or the house show that they did on Monday and on Tuesday. Do you have the results today of the house show? Uh, yeah, I do. As a matter of fact, um, let me see where I'm at here. This is Bournemouth, England, at the International Center. All right. This is okay. November 10th. NXT guys, Adrian Neville defeated Sami Zayn, and the write-up says that was almost a match of the night. Emma and Natalia won over Summer Rae and Layla. Just Incredible beat Fandango. Uh, Dean Ambrose defeated Cesaro. Cameron beat Naomi. Goldust and Stardust beat the Usos again. And Chris Jericho defeated Bray Wyatt putting him through a table. Did you but say Justin Jay Incredible? will be on TV on Friday with the highlight reel. Did 
Can you say just incredible? Did I? Oh yeah, maybe I. Yeah, maybe I did. No, Chris Jericho beat Bray Wyatt. Oh okay. Yeah, he put Bray Wyatt through a table. But I said Y2J. Y2J will be on SmackDown on Friday. Okay. So, in your opinion, does it look worth watching? SmackDown? Yeah, uh, I don't know. Depends on your mood, I guess. It looks like it's okay. It don't look like... You know, when they put the spoilers up for SmackDown, they leave out a lot of stuff. And when when you wind up watching, you say, oh, wow, they didn't write that up with the spoilers. You know, the backstage stuff. I want to see how much of a squash Bray Wyatt does to Sin Cara, but I'm interested in Ryback against Kane. JJ, what's your thoughts on the new Ryback and on Monday Night Raw? Start with Raw first. Well, you know, as as Dominic pointed out, uh, if you watched Raw, there were a lot of people missing from Raw, and uh, that was due to the fact that they did have a sort of a SmackDown house show. So guys like Chris Jericho, who's all over doing the UK tour, Cesaro, Fandango, Justin Gabriel, Emma, Natty Neidhart, uh, the Rhodes Brothers, the Usos. You know, a lot of guys you know weren't uh, on Raw that you would normally see. And uh, Dean Ambrose and Bray Wyatt were on Raw, but those uh, segments were taped in advance. So that's why you saw Ambrose and Wyatt on Raw. They weren't there live because they were doing the house show. But uh, despite the fact they were missing a lot of talent, uh, like Dominic said, I think they made the best of a bad situation, and they took what they did have, and, you know, they put together a pretty decent show that helped advance uh, the storylines going into Survivor Series, because that's what it's all about right now, is building the Survivor Series teams. And right now we have three official matches set for Survivor Series. We have Bray Wyatt versus uh, Dean Ambrose. Of course, AJ Lee will be defending her Divas title to uh, Nikki Bella. And, uh, of course, Team Cena, as of right now, has Dolph Ziggler, The Big Show, and Sheamus. They haven't exactly filled out the fifth spot yet, but we, we more than likely will assume that it's, it's going to be right back, which should be very interesting. And, of course, team authority is Seth Rollins, Kane, Mark Henry, Rusev, and which was a surprise to me, Luke Harper. Uh, and, again, if you look at Raw and the way they kicked off the show, and at first we thought Jack Swagger was going to be a part of Team Cena, and they had Seth Rollins do multiple curb stomps. He did about two or three curb stomps to Jack Swagger. That's why Jack Swagger will not be at the Survivor Series matchup. They uh, they said something like, oh, he's got like a concussion or something, so he won't be able to compete. So Jack Swagger's out of action because the authority, and like I said, Seth Rollins did the curb stomp so many times, so Swagger's out of the picture. And then, uh, you know, what went on between, you know, I've always, spoke up and said that I like what they're doing with Damian Sandow, but like Dominic said, when I saw Hornswoggle come out as The Miz, I thought they jumped the shark. And uh, for all the listeners who don't know what that term means, look it up on Google. But that went uh, a little too far for my taste. I'm more than happy with Damian Sandow doing it. If it's going to establish him and if it's going to make him, you know, I hopefully – 
become a star out of this and to really get carve his own identity. It seems the fans are behind him throughout the tag match. The fans in the U.K. were cheering for him. I mean, they were a loud, uh, loud bunch in the U.K. They're always uh, voicing their opinions. And uh, they were behind Sandow, but... Uh, you know, when you add Hornswoggle to the mix, I mean, like, what is this? Is this the new 3MB now? I mean, I, it's just hard to take it serious. And I hope that a lot of that Sandow doesn't get stuck doing this for too long to a point that he can't break out and be a star on his own and get the people behind him. If he's just going to be the Miz Lackey and do this for the next, you know, I don't know how long, and then they just throw him away under the rug, then it'll all be for nothing. And I hope that's not the case, but... You know, time will tell. And uh, the thing with Adam Rose, too, it, uh, you know, this this is already the second time now. I think if you watched SmackDown last week, Adam Rose pushed the bunny down. And, of course, this time again, he does the same thing. He loses the match, and he blames the bunny. He sort of attacks the bunny. And then he attacks the bunny, and then they play a song, and then he's dancing with, the you know, the Exotic Express again like nothing happened. But to me, it's just confusing. Are we supposed to cheer him? Are we supposed to boo him? Is he a heel? Is, is he just having a bad day? I mean, we're not quite clear on, you know, what's going on with Adam Rose and, of course, you know, whether or not he, is he going to keep doing this with the oh, 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 oh. And, you know, it's, you know, if he's a heel, make him be a heel. This is already the second time that he put his hands on the bunny, so to speak. And I think we should be clear whether or not you know, whether we should cheer him or boo him, because I think the fans are going to be confused now. So, I, you know, I don't know where they're going to go with that. And, of course, the thing with Eric Rowan during uh, Adam Rose's match with Tyson Kidd, Eric Rowan came out and he said, you know, she's not here. And a lot of people are wondering, who is that? Well, are they talking about Sister Abigail? But uh, I think there was an instance, again, on SmackDown, or maybe it was Raw last week, where Eric Rowan approached Renee Young, and he sort of played with her hair, and then he walked away. Yeah, he you know, sounded like George of... Steele, pretty hair. <laughs> yeah, and I noticed right. that last night when he said he's, she's not here, it, mm-hmm. came, it was during Tyson Kidd's match. So could he yeah. be looking for Natalia or Eric yeah. or, or uh, um, Renee the Young? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Of course, we know, as we pointed out, Natty was at the other show that was going on in the U.K., but that could be interesting whether or not there, that sets a potential, you know, feud, whether or not, you know, uh, Eric Rowan becomes that sort of lovable, uh, you know, George Steele of the modern-day times, yeah, and it could terrible. set up a nice little feud with uh, Tyson Kidd. One thing I will say about Tyson Kidd and this uh, thing where he's kind of like a jerk to Natty I love it. I love seeing Tyson Kidd come out, be a complete jackass, and, you know, Natty's is sweet, she's innocent, she's trying to root her man on, and he's showing her, you know, no ounce of respect. He's just blowing her off. It kind of reminds me of the days with Macho Man Randy Savage and Elizabeth, where Elizabeth was this sweet little angel, and Savage was this jerk, always yelling at her, not, you know, giving her, you know, the respect she deserved. And we're kind of seeing that. Now, granted, Tyson Kidd is no Macho Man Randy Savage, but it's just something uh-huh. for the press day fans to see. And I think it could, this could be something that would, could be big for Tyson Kidd. And hopefully, again, he could break out and become a bigger star uh, in the WWE if they play their cards right. But I don't know if they want to do that for Tyson Kidd, if they feel he's worthy enough to get that time. But it's something I hope we see more of. 
uh, as you know time goes on with Tyson and Natty and this whole situation. Uh, again, now you talk about Ryback and the whole thing with Ryback, who is kick off Monday Night Raw and he did the spine buster to John Cena and was thinking, oh, I, well, they just ruined Ryback. They bring him back from an injury. The fans are behind him. And what do they do? They have him side up with Team Authority. And yet, to my surprise, we would see throughout the night in many, many backstage segments uh, where you see Kane or you see Triple H or you see Seth Rollins, and they're all talking to Ryback and telling them to be a team player and to follow their lead. And Ryback is looking at them like, I'm not following you. So then we come towards the main event. It's Ryback and it's Cena. The authority is ringside. And, of course, Ryback gets upset that the authority sort of weasel in on his match. He wanted to do it by himself, on his own. They didn't listen. So when the authorities started attacking Cena, and then, of course, Team Cena came out, Sheamus, Big Show, and then eventually, because uh, the authorities' numbers outweighed them, the authority just they took out Sheamus, they took out Big Show, and then that's when Ryback uh, made the point, the decision to get into the ring, and then Ryback single-handedly took out the authority. Rollins... Uh, you know, all those guys, he just laid them out, and he left. He didn't celebrate with Cena because he was just done fighting Cena. He was trying to kick his ass and beat him up. You know, he's not, he's not trying to be Cena's friend. But it was nice that they established that, you know, he's not this goody-goody John Cena guy. He's Ryback. He's this monster. He's this beast. And he doesn't play well with others. He's not joining the authority being some kiss-ass. So they're really establishing Ryback as this sort of different badass who hopefully now the fans can say, oh, great, he didn't join the authority, he turned on him, and now they're going to cheer him. And most likely, maybe next week on Raw, we'll see that Ryback will join Team Cena, which could be very good for Ryback. I mean, uh, it seems that the fans want to cheer him. They're getting back into the Feed Me More chants. And I'm not hearing any Goldberg chants. They're into Ryback. They're doing Feed Me More. They're yes. not saying Goldberg to bust his balls. They're into Ryback, which is what you want. You want them to be cheering him. You don't want them to be cheering Goldberg. <laughs> now, you mentioned Jim before the new version of the three-man band. Jinder Mahal is in Puerto Rico in the World Wrestling Council. They showed yeah. video highlights of him and look for him to be coming soon. Wow. And they, he's showing mad skills. Your, uh, your question, if somebody wants to call into the show, they could call the number that you call in. And uh, we will put them right through. I okay. Think, uh, I was, so and any caller that wants to call in, just dial three four seven eight five seven twenty nine fifty. All right. So I'll, put mind, on, I'll put it on my hotline next Tuesday when 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 I do the update on that. It should be yeah. on Blog Talk yeah. Radio. If you go to blogtalkradio.com, dot com, King Jordan Radio, they should have the number on the screen as well. Yeah. But, like, for those who are not computer savvy that just want to get right in and just hear the show or uh, whatnot, um, you can do it that way. Okay, I found a great rant on John Cena, courtesy of the Solomon Monster, courtesy of Via TV Tracks. How many times can uh, WWE fans hear the same John Cena promotions? Let's take a look. We had John Cena and Stephanie McMahon had an in-ring segment. I'm not going to recap everything that was said here. All I'm going to say is this. 
this thing ended up devolving into Stephanie McMahon attempting to recruit John Cena to join the authority. And it's one of those segments that just, it makes me cringe as a wrestling fan. Because we've seen John Cena come out now for how many years now? What, 10 years, 12 years doing his shtick? Hustle, loyalty, respect. And how many times have we had to sit through John Cena promos where he addresses the fact that people want me to go heal, or they want me to be, they want me to be the bad guy, they want me to be the villain, but I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to change who I am just because some people want to knock me down. All of these impassioned speeches about why he does what he does and the and the charity stuff. And when I look in the eyes of a sick kid, or I look in the eyes of one of those soldiers, and it really it brings a tear to your eye. All these times that we've seen John Cena cut these promos, and we're supposed to buy into the fact that. Well, he's just going to join the authority. He'll just abandon all of his principles, and he'll agree. Yeah, sure, I accept. I join the authority. That's number one. Number two, how many fucking times are we going to sit here and listen to the same John Cena promo over and over and over and over again, where whether it's him or Stephanie in this case, they bring up the fucking chants from the crowd. Do you hear them, John? Do you hear them? They're booing you. They're chanting, Cena sucks. They don't like you. Turn, turn, right? How many times have we seen this? How many times have they done this in just the last two or three years? We just saw it a couple of months ago with Paul Heyman. The same fucking promo. And, and you know, John Cena only gets part of the blame for that. Because they scripted this shit. How many fucking times can they rely on the same promo for this guy? And we're supposed to care. Now, they were lucky, because in San Antonio, for whatever reason, the people were into John Cena. The one fucking building in the entire country where when you try to get them to chant Cena sucks, they don't. And they actually chant Cena, Cena. And apparently it messed with whatever Stephanie's promo was supposed to be. But Stephanie is so good that she can think on her feet, and they kind of adjusted it accordingly. But it's like, how many times are we supposed to sit through this? Why do I, as a viewer, give a shit if the fans are chanting for this guy, if they're not chanting for this guy, you know, he, he just beat Randy Orton the night before. He earned a shot at Brock Lesnar's WWE Championship. He's primed for a main event on this very show against Seth Rollins. Of all the things for him to come out and talk about, we have to see through the same promo that we've seen a million frickin' times before. And that's what really annoyed me about this more than anything else. And I said, you know, sometimes John Cena shows that he can cut a really good promo. John Cena can be one of the best promo guys in the company when he's on his A-game and when he's given the material to work with. He shows that he can cut a great promo on some nights. This was not one of those nights. This was one of those grating John Cena promos where he comes out, he's the narrator. He's the voice of the WWE. He's the Morgan Freeman of the WWE. The way he speaks and how he kind of, he summarizes everything. I don't need you to come out and give me a fucking summary. They can take a voiceover guy and have them do that. Better yet, here's an even better idea. Why not have your three announcers at ringside do that? Why not make them useful for a change and have them summarize what's going on and not John Cena? That's not John Cena's job. It's one of those corny things about the character that I fucking hate. But just this whole promo of how she's trying to convert him to the dark side, and the people, and John Cena, of course, the people paid their money. They can come and shit. How many times do I have to hear this shit? I hated this. This was terrible. I, I just, I couldn't stand this. But it had a purpose. 
It had a purpose, even though the segment could have been about 12 minutes shorter than it was. But it had a purpose. And the purpose was to set up a Survivor Series elimination match where John Cena will captain one team against Team Authority. That's the big main event for the Survivor Series. There's no title match. Uh, that's, that's it. That's going to be the main event. Four on four, five on five, whatever form it takes. Uh, I'm okay with that. I, I like the Survivor Series concept. You can't do a whole show full of Survivor Series matches like you used to. But to have one or two main ones is cool. I'm happy to see them at least keeping the concept alive, even though week after week after week on television for free, we constantly see tag team matches. We constantly see six-man tags with the same guys. So this idea that they're going to sell a pay-per-view on a tag team match as a main event is kind of comical to me, but then you find out they're giving it away for free, so it doesn't even fucking matter. Now we know why they're giving it away for free and why they're doing a tag team match as a main event. It's obvious to me Cena will end up recruiting or attempting to recruit Randy Orton for his team uh, to challenge the authority. Maybe not. You know, maybe Orton joins Team Authority and ends up turning on them the way that Kurt Angle turned on the Alliance at Survivor Series all those years ago when they, uh, you know, ixnade the invasion. Maybe that happens, and he gets the big babyface pop in his hometown of St. Louis, which is where Survivor Series is. But I think it's better if he joins Team Cena. So that way we can avoid another John Cena versus Randy Orton confrontation. I have seen enough of John Cena versus Randy Orton on opposite sides of the ring, one-on-one in the ring, or in tag matches, or any kind of match. I would much rather they be partners to avoid that. Although we all know what happened once upon a time when John Cena and Randy Orton were tag team partners. They wiped out the entire Raw roster 17-on-2. Uh, Orton does start filming a movie for WWE. He's filming The Condemned 2 on November 11th. So I I would be surprised if he altogether just missed the pay-per-view. It's possible. He may not even be at Survivor Series. I I find that hard to believe. I'm sure they'll work his schedule around the pay-per-view. In the movie, by the way, he plays a, a former bounty hunter who ends up in a tournament where people fight to the death. This was the movie that Steve Austin was in the first one. It completely bombed, and WWE blamed it on Lionsgate or whoever the distributor was, and there was a whole big fight over it. Well, anyway, so Randy Orton now gets to the sloppy seconds in the Condemned series. Didn't Randy Orton get uh, sloppy seconds or whatever in another series, too? I could have sworn he was in uh, another movie where he was like um, an ambulance worker. It was actually not bad as far as action movies go, but I feel like John Cena had the role first, then they gave it to Orton. What the hell was the name of that movie? What was it um was it twelve rounds? It might have been the twelve round series. I don't remember. It's been it's been long enough. But anyway, it's Team Cena versus Team Authority as the Survivor Series main event. I, I can envision a John Cena, Randy Orton, Dolph Ziggler, maybe Ryback team if they're doing four on four against Rollins, Kane, and the Stooges. Jamie Noble and Joey Mercury. Um, it is worth noting that the Scott Trade Center, which is hosting the Survivor Series in St. Louis, they sent a tweet out on their account uh, announcing that Bray Wyatt and Dean Ambrose would have a singles match on the show, as it should be. And that's one of the things I wanted to mention here, too, is I'm hoping that they're not just going to shoehorn Dean Ambrose and Bray Wyatt into this match. You know, coming off what happened at the Hell in a Cell pay-per-view, I was not thrilled, and I'm going to get into it in a second here, I was not thrilled with the way they followed that up on Monday night. They need to have a one-on-one singles match, just a one-on-one fight where they just butt heads. They they should not be 
shoehorned into a multiple-man tag team match on this next show. So I do not want to see them involved in that Survivor Series match. I do not want to see Dean Ambrose as another member of Team Cena. I don't want to see Bray Wyatt aligning with the authority. I want them to do their own thing separately. Plus, how many guys can you fit in that match? You need other matches on the show. You can't just shoehorn everybody into that one match. So it sounds like that's the direction they're going in. They're going to keep Wyatt and Ambrose separate. That's the way it should be. All right, JJ, give me your thoughts on what you just heard. Well, you know, he's not wrong. I I would love to agree 100%. I don't know if I agree 100%, but I definitely agree 90%. And that's one of the problems with John Cena is that after – I mean, he's been in the WWE for 12 years. He's been on top of the WWE for 10 years, a decade as champion, in your face, main eventing, the hustle, loyalty, respect, the same promos. Uh, He pointed out, you know – when Cena was going up against Brock Lesnar and he had Paul Heyman come out and Heyman said, listen to the fans, they're chanting you suck. And then when Bray Wyatt, earlier in the year, Bray Wyatt was challenging uh, John Cena at WrestleMania and then Bray Wyatt was trying to turn John Cena. And we have the authority now trying to turn John Cena. And it's like the guy's been hustle, loyalty, respect for 10 years now and he hasn't you know, abandoned the C Nation, his fans, his loyal fans that wear his fruity pebbles colors and eat the cereal. You know, he's standing by, hustle, loyalty, respect. He's not the bad guy. He's the ultimate good guy. He's Superman. He's Super Cena. But that's one of the problems with John Cena that everybody, you know, dislikes and that he's gotten stale. And that's all he does is he does the same promos every now and then. Of course, once in a while, depending, you know, who he's up against, if he has uh, an opportunity, he will deliver a good promo. We've seen him deliver some good ones with Brian, with Punk, with Orton. And I know he uh, he could deliver something with uh, Brock Lesnar with the Survivor Series. He, he has it within him to deliver great promos but unfortunately because he is the good guy he is boxed in there's only so much he can say he has to stand by the hustle loyalty respect he has to wave his little hustle uh, respect flag that he brings uh, during his entrance so he is cornered he can only do so much that he's allowed to do and unfortunately it it results in the same old promos over and over but uh, as I said before while I agree 90% in what he said there's that 10% that I don't agree just because as the one thing that he said that even though he's sick he hated uh, Cena and the authority and the same old garbage over and over again it did have a purpose okay See, that's the thing. If you're going to shove crap down my throat, it better be for something. Don't just do it just to do it as filler and say, oh, well, it's another Monday Night Raw, it's another Monday Night segment, another promo, same old, same old. This time, this one rare occasion, it did have a purpose, and that purpose was building up the Survivor Series pay-per-view, something they did the night after Hell in the Cell, which, again, they did a piss-poor job with Hell in the Cell. They waited literally, what, six days to build the Hell in the Cell pay-per-view. And this time, the day after Hell in the Cell, they started planting the breadcrumbs towards the Survivor Series pay-per-view. And that's the way it should be done. So even though they had to, we had to sit through another boring promo, 
same old, same old. It did have a purpose, and for the most part, Survivor Series, you know, it looks like it's turning out okay. You know, as he pointed out, we do have that classic traditional Survivor Series matchup with, of course, Team Authority and Team Cena. You know, it's something that's been, you know, uh, a staple of the Survivor Series for, you know, the last, what, 28, uh, 27 years. So, I mean, it's very important that they keep that tradition alive, uh, even though, as he did point out, that it might seem ridiculous since we see tag matches every week. We see a lot of six-man tag, uh, tag matches every week, and for the most part, it's always the same three guys every week, the same guys. So chances are we'll see the same guys in the Survivor Series matchup. But, again, he said, well, this year's Survivor Series is different than any other year because if you sign up to the network and subscribe this month, it's free. It's not, not, not only is it not $55 on pay-per-view, not only is it not nine ninety nine on the network, it's free. You sign up, you get it, and you watch it for free. If you sign up, though, you have to sign up, you have to register, you have to put your information down, you have to put your credit card down, you do have to sign up and then you'll be charged the next month. But for the month of, you know, Survivor Series, you could potentially watch it free. So whether or not it's a great, outstanding show or not, you know, you're going to get a show that's worth watching, and it should be entertaining. If you're watching it for free, you better not complain. <laughs> if you're watching it for nine ninety nine, you can't complain compared to the people who are watching it for $55. If you're watching it for $55, you've got every right in the world to complain if they produce a piss-poor pay-per-view, and you're paying that much money to watch the same old crap over and over again. So, again, it's it's very different. This year's Survivor Series is very different than any other year just for that reason alone. But uh, one thing I do agree on him, as I mentioned before with Ryback, Ryback doesn't play well with others. He didn't join Team Cena right away. He went to join the authority, but then he didn't like the the dark side, so to speak, he didn't like the way the authority was hanging over him, so then he turned on them. So there's a good chance he might join Team Cena to get back at the authority. But for the most part, like I said, he doesn't play well with others. And that's something I've always said about Dean Ambrose. Dean Ambrose never once was buddy-buddy with John Cena, something that Roman Reigns was. When the shield split, and of course Roman was in the spotlight. He was doing a lot of tag matches with Cena. They did have a history together, of course, with Shield and all the times they went up against Cena. But for the most part, Roman Reigns was pretty cool about it. He didn't. He was all right teaming with John Cena. That wasn't the case with Dean Ambrose. Dean Ambrose wasn't trying to make friends, and for the most part, that pleases a lot of fans. A lot of the fans that hate Cena, they could gravitate towards Dean Ambrose. Dean Ambrose can be their hero, their anti-hero, so to speak. He could be the one that they cheer for while Roman Reigns is out, while uh, Daniel Bryan is out. So Dean Ambrose, for the most part, is that guy. He's that guy you want to cheer. He's the rebel. He's the loner. So to put him in a, a traditional Survivor Series matchup, he'll just get lost in the card, and you don't want that. You don't want him to be lost right now when he's hot. He needs to deliver in a one-on-one match, which they will have with Bray Wyatt. Bray Wyatt, another kind of weird, strange guy. He always had Harper and Rowan on on his side, the Wyatt family. But now it seems it seems that they're trying to distance uh, Eric Rowan from Bray Wyatt. They're trying to distance Luke Harper 
from uh, Bray Wyatt. They're even distancing uh, Luke Harper and Eric Rowan. You're not seeing them together like you used to. They were a tag team, for crying out loud, and yet you're not seeing them together. We're seeing now Harper is, has the potential to be in the main event with the authority. Maybe he'll be an authority guy. This is a big opportunity for Luke Harper. What happens with Eric Rowan? Could he be you know, a more comical character where he's flirting with either Natty Neidhart or Renee Young? Will he be like a George the Animal Steel? I don't know. It's something we have to wait and see how this pans out. But Bray Wyatt, for the most part, again, he's a loner. He's someone who doesn't play well with others. He had his family, but now his family has broken up and gone their own separate ways. So I like the fact that Ambrose and Wyatt have a one-on-one matchup. I'm glad they have a one-on-one matchup. It's not a part of the traditional Survivor Series. So I hope it delivers. I know Ambrose will do everything he can to make the match uh, crazy, unpredictable. And, of course, Bray Wyatt, uh, whether or not you think uh, he's a great in-ring competitor, he brings that presence that's very strange. And, of course, the last month with the whole hologram thing, He's, he's another one that's very unpredictable. So this has the potential to be a very memorable outing between Wyatt and Ambrose. So I'm looking forward to these matches, and I hope for the WWE's sake that they deliver because the fans want to see something that delivers. They don't want to see something that falls flat. See, now at house shows for the WWE, Eric Rowan is still teaming with Luke Harper. Oh, Yes, still a team. And then the new group... They're doing Biggie Langston and Kofi and and and. Uh, oh yeah, that's right, Xavier Woods. Yeah, right. They're doing Xavier Woods. They're doing them at house shows. But why haven't we seen Biggie on TV anymore? Well, you know like, what? Like, one thing that we saw in Raw last week. Last week on Raw, they started the whole new day. And it's a new day with Xavier Woods, and he seems to be like uh, James Brown, and he's singing, he's preaching, yep. he gets the, the cake. I didn't even recognize dancing. him. I said, who the hell is this guy now? Yeah. And we saw that again last night on Monday Night Raw. On Monday yep. Night Raw, we saw the same New Day uh, video package with this sort of preacher style, only this time it wasn't Xavier Woods. This time it was Kofi Kingston. So I'm guessing by next week we should see Big E a part of this new day, and there'll be another promo next week. Oh, you're Big kidding. E because I wasn't paying attention. I thought it was Xavier again. They showed Kofi. They oh, did show Kofi. Jesus. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so I'm assuming that slowly but surely they're going to be building where Big E will be next week, and then probably the following week, or maybe it'll be at Survivor Series, we'll see a three-on-three maybe elimination tag match between this new day of Xavier Woods, Kofi Kingston, and Big E versus, you know, I don't know who would challenge them. But slowly, like I said, we'll be seeing more and more until they make their debuts. So All right. It's, it's the more of happen. Survivor Series, they got um, one, two, three. All right. They got a five-way tag team. Los Matadores. Against Goldust and Stardust, against Miz and Damian Sandow, against the Usos. Four-way, rather. Fatal four-way. Oh, wow. And the kickoff show. Listen to this. We're going to love this shit. Adam Rose against the fucking bunny, Jack. Oh, man. And there's also Nikki Bella against AJ and Dean Ambrose against Bray Wyatt. 
and most likely Ryback will be on on Team Cena. But Adam Rose and the Bunny, weren't they going to unmask that Bunny? And it was supposed to be um, um, Darren Young. Uh, yeah, David Young, and make him feud with with uh, Titus O'Neil. But I don't know what happened with that. I don't think they're doing that no more. Well, see, that's the thing. It's it's on uh, the kickoff show. And the kickoff show, what is that? It's free. You can watch it on YouTube. You can watch it on the network, and it's for free. And if you're going to see Adam Rose wrestle a bunny, you're going to want to see it for free. You're not going to want to spend a penny on that. Yeah, really. And like you said before, people buying it for $55, they ain't got a right to complain if it sucks. But if they're paying $55, they got to be out of their freaking mind. At this point, you might as well bring back the Godly Gookba. Yeah, I'd rather have him. Oh. Yeah, I wouldn't mind having Hector Guerrero as that gimmick. Bring back T.L. Hopper. Bring back Doink the Clown. Bring back the Hockey Goon. Because at least T.L. Hopper, Dirty White Boy, he had a legit plumbing business. Putting Wild Bill Irwin as a hockey player, the guy, one of his favorite sports was hockey. But Wild Bill Irwin was always a cowboy gimmick. You know, and and or either under a mask as a super destroyer. You don't make a hockey player out of a, a out of a guy that's always done a Wild West gimmick. You keep him like that. Everybody knows it's Bill Irwin. And how about when WWF did that thing with 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 Skinner? Everybody knew it was Steve Kern and yeah. Barry Windham as the stalker. Come on, oh, yeah. that was some crazy stuff. Yeah, All right, Brian. stuff too, not just crazy. <laughs> yeah. All right, Brock Lesnar and Ryback, what would happen? Let's take a listen to this clip. Adam the Maniac Misaglia with Ryback's babyface return this past Monday. It made me think, with Daniel Bryan out for an extended period of time, could Ryback challenge Brock Lesnar for the WWE Championship? I liked your idea with Cesaro, but since it seems like he's stuck in a mid-card rut, maybe Ryback could be plugged into that role have him mow through people until the Royal Rumble. But instead of challenging Brock, since it looks like it'll be Cena-Brock instead, Ryback wins the Royal Rumble match and goes on to face Brock at WrestleMania with the build-up playing off Ryback being a former Paul Heyman guy. Could you see a Ryback-Lesnar feud, or do you think Ryback is too damaged from his past run? I don't think that Ryback is too damaged to not do a match with Brock. I think you could do a match with Brock. I mean, it was one week. Okay, Ryback got a hero's welcome in San Antonio, Texas. Who is to say that on Raw this week or next week, he's going to come out and get the same kind of reaction? I hope he does. I hope it keeps up, and I hope that we have fewer and fewer Goldberg chants, and this guy is over, he's, he's just rejuvenated. I hope that happens. I said it earlier in the podcast, though. I don't see Ryback ever getting back to that level where he could consistently be taken seriously as a main event performer slash champion, world champion. He could be an, a solid upper mid-card guy. I think that there's just been far too much damage done, though, for anybody to take him seriously over an extended period of time. So, for example, to slot him in the same spot as Dean Ambrose or a Roman Reigns or somebody like that, I don't see it. I don't see them doing that, and I, I really do think that he's just way too damaged by the way that he's been booked in the past. But I do think that you could do a Ryback-Brock Lesnar match, a one-off, like you could have done Brock and Cesaro, had Cesaro been built up 
differently and they played off the whole Paul Heyman thing, which they didn't. But I would do it at the Rumble. Now, I know that's not going to happen. They've already gone all in on Cena versus Lesnar, and it looks like their plans are set. But in your scenario, I wouldn't do it at WrestleMania. I do not see Brock and Ryback, even under the best of circumstances, as a viable WrestleMania main event. I, I just I don't see it. I just don't see that as a WrestleMania main event. I don't buy it. But I could see Brock and Ryback in the main event of the Royal Rumble. And like with Cesaro, I said, you don't have to have the strongest championship match on that show. You just have to have a title match because the 30-man Rumble match is what sells that show. So you have two strong main events, though. You have the 30-man Rumble match. And if you build him up between now and then, he stays unbeaten. He mows through guys. He keeps getting the reactions he's getting. And, yes, you can play off his past as a former Paul Heyman guy. I didn't even think of that. You could, you could have done Brock and Ryback at the Royal Rumble. But I would not do that at WrestleMania. I just I don't think that works as a believable Mania main event. But for the Rumble, sure, they could have done that. Put it this way. No matter what I may think of Ryback, whether he can get back to that spot as a, a true long-term main eventer, I would much, much rather have this Ryback, the new babyface Ryback, back in action, facing Brock Lesnar at the Royal Rumble than I would Brock Lesnar and John Cena. Lesnar-Cena to WWE is still the bigger money match. To me, it's debatable. The first time, sure. The second time, maybe. The third time, the fourth time, no. The bloom is off the rose. I don't see the appeal in another John Cena versus Randy Orton match. Or, or Well, I don't see the appeal in that either. Uh, John Cena versus Brock Lesnar match. I would have much rather seen Randy Orton and Brock Lesnar. I would rather see Ryback and Brock Lesnar. I think that's a fresher, better match. WWE disagrees. It's all about Cena. That's just how it is. AJ, you also had someone you just heard. Well, he brought uh, some interesting points and something that I even said before. I would have rather seen uh, Randy Orton beat Cena and then challenge Brock Lesnar at the Royal Rumble. Of course, they didn't go that way. Cena won that series, and now Cena is the number one contender and will face uh, Brock Lesnar at probably the Royal Rumble pay-per-view. But I do like the idea of you know, Ryback at the Royal Rumble, though, not at WrestleMania. I can't see, you know... Uh, Ryback and Brock Lesnar, WrestleMania, biggest show of the year, biggest moneymaker of the year, and seeing Ryback and, you know, Lesnar, who Lesnar is, the, I mean, Lesnar, they've been building up Lesnar, they should have been building up Ryback way back when, but they dropped the ball with Ryback, unfortunately, they turned him heel, he lost to Mark Henry at WrestleMania, I mean, we don't know what the hell was going on with Ryback, he was the hottest thing, everybody was doing the Feed Me More, and then he just kind of fell off the charts, he became a Paul Heyman guy, I thought that was going to resurrect his career, and then they didn't really know what to do with him, they had Paul Heyman just kind of kick him to the curb, and even say that, well, he he wasn't technically a Paul Heyman guy. So, I mean, it's it's just very difficult what they did. Uh, his teaming up with Curtis Axel, their tag team, for the most part, they, you know, they didn't really deliver. And uh, that probably, I hate to say it, but probably the best thing that happened to Ryback was when he had a hernia and he was off television for about two months or so, and he had an opportunity to come back fresh. That's helped him so much because the Ryback that we saw every week, every week, was a damaged Ryback. 
But now that he had time to go away, the fans have now amnesia. We forget about all these matches and all these letdowns. Now he's back. He's a face. He's challenging the authority, who for the most part everyone hates. And they're getting behind Ryback, which is good. I could see Ryback now, who's more refreshed, and the fans have forgot about a lot of the stuff that he did. This Ryback could easily challenge Brock Lesnar at the Royal Rumble in the main event. And I think it could be, you know, an interesting matchup. Lesnar, Ryback, two big men. Of course, Lesnar, more agile, athletic. Ryback, just a big hulk of a, you know, a wrestler. Uh, It could be, you know, I don't see, you know, Ryback beating him, but it could be interesting. It could be, you know, something new, something fresh, which is what we need. I mean, Lesnar, Cena, again, as he pointed out, you know, Lesnar, Cena, at SummerSlam, they wanted to really push Brock as a beast. He just came off ending the streak. So what else could they do with Lesnar to make him this, you know, dominant force? And they have him just roll right over on John Cena. John Cena, who's been, you know, on top of the WWE for the past decade, and he just got squashed like a bug by Brock Lesnar. That was huge. It wasn't a great match by any means, but it was more to the match than the actual wrestling. They were trying to tell a story. They were trying to build up Brock Lesnar. So in that regard, I think they did was okay. Then, of course, we had the follow-up. And the follow-up, again, this is already now the third time we've seen, you know, Lesnar and Cena. And, of course, now Cena has to prove himself. He has to go out there, Mr. Hustle, loyalty and respect, and show the C-Nation that he's still got a leg to stand on and that he's not, you know, on his last days and he's not done with wrestling and that, you know, he's not some nobody, that he still has the fight in him. So he has to take the fight to Lesnar. And, of course, just before he could possibly beat Lesnar and then they have to have Seth Rollins come in and there's a disqualification he's trying to cash in money in the bank so Cena never really we don't know whether or not Cena could have beaten Brock or not so now we have another matchup scheduled at the Royal Rumble Brock Lesnar John Cena Paul Heyman I'm sure is going to be bringing up the hustle loyalty and respect but if there's anyone who could turn it and make it interesting well it's Paul Heyman the guy is uh, extremely fascinating. Uh, yesterday, as I pointed out, on the WWE Network, they had this big special on ECW, and Heyman was just phenomenal. He was just great, reliving all those times. So I think Heyman, he's the only really saving grace in this Lesnar-Cena feud that's going to happen at the Rumble. But for now, unfortunately, I don't think we're going to see uh, Lesnar and Ryback. I I would be shocked if they did it at WrestleMania. I mean, if they really build Ryback up. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know who's going to win the Royal Rumble. I don't even know if Daniel Bryan will be back in time for WrestleMania. So there's a lot of things that aren't, you know, concrete yet. Uh, Roman Reigns is still out. He should be returning soon, maybe by December, possibly at the Royal Rumble in January. It's hard to say. There's still a lot of factors being up in the air. But you know, as I said, fresh is good, new is good. Ryback and Brock Lesnar, it's something new. It's something we haven't seen before. You know, Orton Lesnar, that would have been great as well. Something we haven't seen before. But unfortunately, the WWE is going to do what they feel is best for business, which is best for their wallets, because John Cena is a big superstar. He's a household name. Brock Lesnar is a big superstar. He's a household name. So they're going to do everything they can to milk that. 
Well, I, I'll tell you something. I, I agree with a lot of the stuff you just said, J.J., but Brock Lesnar, to me, is not a household name. Brock Lesnar yes, should come out to the theme, part-time wrestler. Remember Philip Bailey when he sang that song with Phil Collins? Just change the word, part-time wrestler. That's what he is. You don't deserve the title. The WWE's got no champion. What the hell kind of shit is that? I want to see Ryback beat the balls off of Brock Lesnar, get reinvented, and be the world heavyweight champion. Then you bring great. back Randy Orton. You could reinvent him as a heel and put mm-hmm. him against uh, um, uh, Ryback. As far as Curtis Axel, I don't know what the hell happened to him or even what they're doing with him. And we got hardly no tag teams no more. We got the Usos, we got Goldust and Stardust, and then it's downhill from there. The Matadors, yeah. I mean, Miz and, and Sandow, and yeah. that's it. Yeah. We had Swagger and, uh, and, uh, oh. yeah, Cesaro, they broke up that. They broke yeah. up Ryback and, and, uh, Curtis Axel. They broke up the three man band. Two guys got let go. Yep. It's like, where's all the tag teams now? They broke up Harper and Rowan. It's another team yeah. gone. Mm. Kane has gotten so stupid, he hasn't won a match in, in how long? A year? <laughs> That's going on a year. Where, where do you stand with this, Blackjack? As far as what? Uh, with Brock Lesnar as champion and uh, the push uh, for Ryback. It's a different direction. Um, it's not like as once we knew as champions and being on the current scene, it's going to we'll probably end up going to uh, Cena. Cena, you know, even there's so much hatred for, towards him in one aspect, but this man still uh, ranks in uh, the numbers. Yeah, he does, unfortunately, even with merchandise. And so when that keeps up like that, you keep the guy on top like that. Yeah, they do. You're not going to juggle him at this point in time. He's going to maintain that high level of where he is right now. See, even back in the day with Hulk Hogan, Hogan couldn't wrestle for shit, but yet... He was the main guy that put asses in the seats, but you could turn Hogan heel and back into a face, back into a heel, and he was still marketable. Cena, we don't know as a heel. We only know from the Thugonomics first year that he was in WWE. Can he pull it off as a heel and still sell all the merchandise and be number one in the merchandise? I don't think so. People I, are just dying to see John Cena, period. Well, if Cena went heel, I, I think uh, he would see that it would be much easier for him. I mean, Hogan loved it when he was when he played the heel. Yep. Uh, macho Man. Yep. Uh, he, he went in that direction. Uh, Austin. Right. And The Rock. Right. At some point in time, uh, I, I would I would say that never say never as far as Cena goes. Even though he's a top drawer, I, I think eventually he probably will go in that direction. Yeah, that's what they say in wrestling. Never say never. It's true. Exactly. Yep. 
you agree, We shall Jacob? wait and see. Well, the thing with Austin and uh, guys like The Rock, when he changed, when he went into movies and the fans turned on him, Austin at one point even joined McMahon, something that people never thought they'd see. Hogan, Hogan was always, you know, say your prayers, say your vitamins, whatever, in WWE. He had to go to WCW where the fans were sick of him. They didn't care about Hulk Hogan. So WCW had to do something about Hulk Hogan. He had to turn to the dark side and join the NWO and that whole thing. Cena doesn't have to do that. And the one thing about Cena is look at Steve Austin. Steve Austin was in the WWE from 95 to 2002, six years. The Rock, The Rock was in the company from 96 to 2004, eight years. Those guys were on top of the WWE at least for about three years or so. Austin was on top when he won his title in uh, 90, was it 98 to about 2001 was his last title reign. He was a six-time WWE champion. The Rock, he won his first title in 98. His last, well, if you don't count uh, his one with uh, CM Punk, his last one run in 2004 with Lesnar, he spent about four to five years on top of the WWE. Nobody in modern times, we're not talking about like Luthez or Bruno San Martino, who had the tremendous, I mean, was it 17 years or something as champion? Nobody in modern times has had the the run that John Cena's had. So, yeah, of course people are sick of him, but he's been the top guy, the number one guy for 10 years. Steve Austin can't say that. The Rock can't say that. Shawn Michaels can't say that. And Steve Austin, one of the biggest box office draws in professional wrestling, outdid uh, Hogan. But yet, John Cena, still the top guy for 10 years. There's nobody in present day times, the last 20 years, can say that. So, of course, the people are sick of him. They're tired of him because he's been number one. He's been the main event. He's headlined countless WrestleManias. And they're tired of seeing the same character. It's not even so much that it's John Cena. It's that hustle, loyalty, respect, the ultimate goody two-shoes. And as Dominic pointed out, if he turned heel, could he be a legitimate heel? Would he just be someone siding with the authority? Would he just be back to the doctor of thugonomics, cutting raps? Could he be a legitimate heel who's hated? A guy, somewhat like I was just playing the 2K showcase between Cena and Punk. Punk, when he dropped the pipe bomb, became a fan favorite. And for a very short time, he outdid John Cena when it came to merchandise. He was the number one guy for a very brief period. He outdid Cena. And yet, when Punk was going nowhere, they brought The Rock back. They had this whole picture with Rock and Cena. They turned Punk heel. Punk was a legitimate heel. He wasn't just someone who the fans cheered and loved as a bad guy, but they booed him. They hated him. He was partnered up with uh, Paul Heyman, the slime ball of the earth, and the fans legitimately hated Punk. Whether or not some people still cheered for him, yeah, of course. There's always going to be people who like the bad guys, but Punk made a decisive heel turn. I don't know, and, and again, like you said, never say never. Can John Cena be a legitimate heel who's hated? Will that bring new life? into his character, and that's something that I don't know if we'll see. Again, like you said, never say never, but this hustle, loyalty, respect, ultimate John Cena, Super Cena, we've seen this song and dance for 10 
years. As we pointed out in that Solomon clip, the same promo. Oh, is he going to turn heel? Is Oh, the Cena sucks chants are going to get to him. Bray Wyatt said it. Paul Heyman said it. Now the authority are saying it. Punk said it to him. How many times are we going to sit through the same program? It needs to be something new. But unfortunately, people still buy into it. They're still buying the merchandise. He's still doing countless media attention, uh, news shows, promotions, commercials. John Cena is the number one ass guy. Of course, there's Make-A-Wish as well. No one's granted more wishes than him. He's the go-to guy in the WWE. And until they find the next go-to guy, there's no reason to replace him. He's the king of the mountain. As I said, he will definitely, uh, he'll definitely go down, down that route. Look at Bob Backlund. You remember yeah. Bob Backlund? He was Ultimate one of uh, You would never think, think that he would be a, a bad guy. Yeah, yeah and he, he pulled it off great. Yep. Yeah. He pulled it off great, yeah. He did. So, uh, oh, anyone yeah. to, uh, for, for Cena to uh, uh, take a pattern after, it probably will be Bob Backlund. Bob Backlund, you never thought he would ever, and then that's Stewie. He, you would never think that uh, Backlund would turn bad, and with the kids and, and stuff like that, he was going down that same route, and right. and look what he did. That's a good comparison. Absolutely. Yeah, Bob Backlund, back uh, in the day when he was champion for so long, he was the ultimate good guy. He was. Kind of what Cena was now he, to the kids and always doing what's right. He was very proper, and yet he turned and he became this kind of crazy heel, and he did some things, and he really changed. And I hope that John Cena does that too, but that's if the WWE allows him to. If they just wanted to keep him their golden boy and keep pooping out goose eggs, you know, golden eggs, you know, I don't know if we're going to see that scene. I hope we do because it'll create new television, new moments, something fresh, and that's what they need. They need something fresh. So I, you I need hope a, they yeah. need a good swerve and uh, to, to put Cena uh, in that kind of perspective. It definitely now that that I uh, resurrect my memory here, it's, I believe one hundred percent it will happen. See, back in the day of Bob Backlund, a lot of people didn't like Backlund as a good guy because they were so used to Bruno's great brawling and his great fighting and Pedro Morales the same way, similar styles. Then Bob Backlund comes along and faces the baddest of the bad, Stan Hansen, the Iron Sheik, um, Spiro Zarion. All these bad guys that beat the balls off of you, Bob Backlund don't beat the balls off of you back. He puts you in an arm lock or pulls your leg out from under you and puts you in a step-over toehold. That's no way to get into a brawl with Stan Hansen. Stan Hansen, you got to fight Stan Hansen's game. Stan Hansen in his day, in his heyday, would have destroyed Brock Lesnar, would have destroyed Randy Orton, would have destroyed John Cena. All the all the guys that are around now would have been destroyed. And the problem is why we got Cena shoved down our throats for so many years. There's no more territories for guys to come from. That's like, true. You can't bring in a raging bull, Manny Fernandez, and take on Cena and destroy him. Well, Manny Fernandez is retired and old, but what I'm saying is there's no more territories where guys could come from and be, come in, be brought in. To take on the top guy. 
And right now the WWE roster is really slim pickings, as they say. Where's Wade Barrett? You know, it's not that he was any great shakes, but he was a body at least that you had. Okay, who does have the bigger problem with steroids? Is it pro wrestling or is it baseball? Let's listen to this clip, and then we'll debate on the other side. And lastly here, Marcus writes in, in both MLB and pro wrestling, athletes have used steroids for Herculean results and greater fame. Unfortunately, steroids have also hurt both sports in damning ways. My question is, which sport did steroids have the biggest impact on, Major League Baseball or professional wrestling? That is a great question. Uh, steroids, you know, PEDs have had a huge impact on both. In terms of baseball, who really knows how far back the usage of, of performance-enhancing drugs go? You can go back to the Bash Brothers with Canseco and Mark McGuire in the late 80s. I'm sure people were using much earlier than that. But what happened was, you know, baseball, they went on strike, and it was in 94. I want to say it was in 94 that you know they had no World Series. Baseball came back, and it was kind of dead. And what resuscitated the sport? It was the home run chase, right, in the late 90s with Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa. And then along came Barry Bonds and his fat head, literally his fat head, in the early 2000s. And all of these monsters started hitting home runs out of the ballpark, you know, 40, 50, 60 home run seasons. And that's what brought people into the ballpark, you know, it became a hitter's game. Everybody was hitting home runs. I mean, who doesn't want to go to a baseball game and see home runs, right? It's boring to a lot of people to go to a ball game, let alone watch one on TV, and see a pitcher's duel. Some people are excited by that. Most people aren't. They want to see people bashing balls out of the ballpark. And so that really is what helped resuscitate the game of baseball, whether, you know, you believe they turned a blind eye to it, Bud Selig and all them, who knows? They probably did. There was a lot of that stuff going on back then. And that brought in millions, even billions of dollars, okay? And those, the, the big TV contract that MLB signed, I mean, all of that stems from the game gaining in popularity, which largely happened because of steroid use. But I would say this, despite the huge impact it had on Major League Baseball, professional wrestling by far, the answer has to be pro wrestling in terms of the, the impact that steroid use had on on the two industries. You can look at the, the finances of it and say that baseball may have reaped more financial rewards overall. They may have made more money. You know, it's a, a much bigger industry financially than wrestling is. I look at the human toll as being more important than the financial toll. And you look at the human toll of steroid use in pro wrestling over the years. And, and steroid use in pro wrestling goes back to at least the 60s. I mean, this is not... Something like only wrestlers started using steroids in the 70s and 80s. And, and don't be naive, okay? It goes back further than that. But in the 80s, WWF became national. That They became the number one company in the country. They started expanding. Hogan was just the poster child for WWF. And he was also the poster child for steroids. And then that whole thing with the Arsenio Hall show where he went on the show and he lied and he embarrassed himself and brought all of this undue scrutiny from the government onto the company. Vince McMahon almost ended up going to jail. I mean, it was a whole sequence of events. So, And it could have been a lot worse. I mean, Vince could well have gone to jail and he had a plan in place for Jerry Jarrett to take over, but Vince was still going to run day-to-day operations from prison. I mean, all of these wacky things that happened. 
But I, I look at the human toll, and I look at all the people that have died. Now, you can say, well, you can't say that all those wrestlers died because of steroids. And that's true. A lot of those guys were doing a lot of other bad shit they shouldn't have been doing. For all the guys that were probably shooting up with needles in the 80s, in the NWA, and WWE, and everywhere else, they were probably doing cocaine. In fact, cocaine was a big thing back in the 80s. That's why when they first put a drug policy in place in 87, it was to cover cocaine. I don't think it covered steroids. It was to curb cocaine use which was at an all-time high. And Hogan, I think, is an admitted coke, coke user. You don't have to really have him admit to that. Just go watch any of his old promos and watch any of the old Randy Savage promos and everybody else back in the day. They were all coked-up monsters. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if on the set of No Holds Barred in 89, you know, Vince is in his trailer with Hogan and all they're doing is snorting coke off a of fucking stripper's tits. I mean, probably stuff like that was going on a lot back then. That was the 80s. Scarface. You ever see that movie? So it was it was happening a lot back then. There was a lot of street drugs and narcotics beyond just steroids that were being taken. And a lot of guys died because of, of recreational drug abuse back then. But you can't discount the impact that steroids had. How many how many enlarged hearts have we heard about? How many enlarged hearts have we heard about? Whether whatever kind of steroid it was, growth hormone, whatever. Whatever it was, in massive amounts, right up until recent years. It wasn't just contained to the 80s and 90s. Guys that were doing that shit in the 80s and 90s paid a very heavy price for that, and so did their families, and so did wrestling. All the scrutiny, I mean, wrestling is a punchline to a lot of people. Oh, wrestling, you know, those guys don't live to be beyond the age of 40. And, you know, it's almost like a joke, but it's not. How many guys never made it out of their 30s? How many guys never made it out of their 40s? That's not normal. So when you compare the rate of steroid depths in baseball, and there have been guys that have died from admitted steroid abuse or, or alleged steroid abuse, but when you compare the rate of guys that have dropped dead at a young age, 30s, 40s, 50s, from PED and steroid abuse in Major League Baseball, whatever that number is, and you compare that number to the number in wrestling, there is no comparison. There is no way that those numbers are comparable. The numbers in wrestling far exceed any that you would find in baseball. No other sport has the reputation that wrestling has of having so many young deaths from steroid use. So for that reason alone, wrestling wins or loses, depending on your, your perspective here. But I think the bigger impact has been felt by pro wrestling. I don't care how much money baseball made off of the, the home run chase in the late 90s and them turning a blind eye all those years and Bonds and everybody else, and they made a shit ton of money off that, and they paid a very heavy price PR-wise for that later on. The bigger impact in terms of human life is on pro wrestling. And just being a form of entertainment that was so reliant upon looking a certain way and wrestlers feeling as though I have to look a certain way, whether they were outright told by the promoter or if they were, it was suggested to them. How many stories have we heard of that in the WWF where, you know, Vince didn't tell somebody, Hey, get on the gas, but you know, you should get on the gas. And so guys felt that to keep their spot on the roster, they had to do certain things to look a certain way. I mean, look at a guy, look at a guy like Lance Cade. 
I just watched the Shawn Michaels-Chris Jericho ladder match from No Mercy in 2008. Great freaking match, by the way. Just a random match I picked on the network that I haven't seen in a long time. That you know, I know Jericho talks about it in his book, which I'm still I've got to read. I haven't started it yet. So I said I'm going to watch that match, and I watched it, and it was a great match. And I had completely forgotten that towards the finish, Lance Cade had gotten involved because at that time Lance Cade was was aligned with Chris Jericho. I had completely forgotten about that. And Cade was also somebody who had been trained many years earlier by Shawn Michaels, so there was that tie-in as well. And I'm watching this, and Cade is leaving with Jericho, and I'm and I'm like. I'm pretty sure he died like the following year, and sure enough, he did. And you know, I went back and I, I started reading up again on Lance Cade because you know he had passed away about three or four years ago at this point. And you know you, you hear stories from guys that worked in the company at that time who interacted with him about how he he really didn't want to take steroids, but he felt compelled to, or somebody had kind of intimated to him that you know we need you to look a certain way. He was frustrated, I think, at that time. Either he had not been called up or they weren't doing anything with him. So he did. He he did whatever he did to look the way he had to look. And then all of a sudden, he got called up. And so you read story, And he's just one example of that that I give because I just so happened to, to watch a match where he was featured in the other day. But that was in, in, in the 2000s. So, again, this is not something like, well, that's a generation removed and everything now is so much different and we have the wellness policy. That's great. That, that's terrific, and I'm happy they have that wellness policy now, and I'm sure it's the strongest it's ever been. And I'm sure overall that steroid use in WWE is probably lower uh, than it's ever been, although I think you're fooling yourself if you don't think that guys there aren't on growth hormone. Of course, they're still on something. But that aside, this is this is not like old hat, people. Like This is still going on. And a lot of people are no longer around because – just the culture of wrestling being what it is, they felt like this is what I have to do. And and that's their choice. I mean, look, I'm not excusing their behavior. A lot of those guys that passed away because they abused steroids and they found their hearts were enlarged, nobody put a gun to their head and said, listen, you got to take this shit. They made that choice. That's their responsibility. Everyone should be responsible for their own choices. But that doesn't make it any less sad. I do believe there were plenty of guys who, if they had the choice would never have gotten involved in stuff like that. But it's wrestling, or I need my spot, Vince loves big guys, whatever the case may be. So it, it, it was like it pervaded that culture for so long. You can't, you can't say that you know, it didn't have a massive impact on wrestling from just the fact that people felt like they had to do it, still might feel that way, and then the loss of life. Find me another industry. Find me another sport or form of entertainment where as many people have died at a young age from steroid use, growth hormone, whatever, than in pro wrestling. How many dead bodies are in pro wrestling compared to baseball? There is no comparison. You're not finding guys. I mean, you could probably go back right now and find guys that were on Major League Baseball winning World Series teams in the mid-'80s and the late-'80s and the early-'90s and not every single one of them are going to be around. But by and large, those teams are probably mostly still, if not completely in some cases, still intact. Those people are still living and breathing. How many WrestleManias, how many pay-per-views, if you go back on the network right now and pick any random shows from the 80s and even into the 90s, into the mid to late 90s, how many shows are you going to find where, and I find myself doing this too, especially in old Royal Rumble matches, 
where I'm like, dead, 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 dead. It's like I see dead people, and it makes me sad. It's like, I mean, look, time goes by, people get older, some people are going to pass away, but not this many. Find me another industry that's like that. There is none. JJ, you have thought to what you just heard. Well, as you pointed out, you know, I'm not the biggest uh, baseball fan, but being from Chicago, I was aware of the, you know, whole home run race between Sammy Sosa, the Chicago Cubs, and Mark McGuire, and, of course, the big steroid scandal there. But uh, as he pointed out, I mean, if you compare, you know, just by the numbers of the steroid users in baseball who have, you know, passed away, who have died compared to wrestling, I mean, the wrestling is staggering the amount of users plus in baseball yeah they're using it to hit the ball out of the park but with wrestling it's so much more because it's basically they need the steroids for just the look they need the look it's not whether or not they can lift the guy over their head it's their look whether or not people buy into them they see their appearance you know if you got the right look man you'll go places so if you use steroids oh you'll be huge you'll be jacked It'll be exactly what we're looking for. We can, you know, build a company around you because you got it. And that's what a lot of guys, uh, you know, in the 80s or whatnot were doing. They were using, you know, it was their choice to make, and they did what they did. And, unfortunately, a lot paid their price by the time they reached their 30s, by the time they reached their 40s. How many wrestlers have we lost uh, in the last 30 years because of steroid use or because they mix drugs? Not just steroid use, but the mixing of steroids and whatever other drugs that they were on. And then that also caused their death. And it's just, it is a staggering amount. But with wrestling, I would say, without a doubt, uh, I believe it is much worse. Uh, But uh, it's just, it's very different. Uh, And he compared, uh, you know, so many wrestlers. Have you seen pay-per-views? If you watch on the WWE Network and just point out the guys, okay, well, he's not here, he's not here, he's gone, he's... It is sad. It is very sad. And uh, it's just we've lost too many. And we do hope, of course, with this new wellness policy intact, and even though there are ways to get uh, away with it, there are different types of drugs, different uh, growth hormones that maybe aren't, uh, don't show up on, uh, during the test of the wellness policy. And you look at certain guys, there is a definitive sort of look. Uh, again, I'm not a professional. You'd have to talk to maybe a doctor. Well, a but a doctor would tell you that, you know, there is a look. Certain guys that are jacked, you can spot it right away without a doubt. And then there are other guys who, whether their gym work or their work ethic, their training, they have a different look. Whether or not those muscles have uh, the steroids running through them or they're natural, there's a difference between a guy on steroids. Look at all the guys who in wrestling have admitted they were on steroids and compare them to the guys who aren't on steroids. All the guys on steroids have a, a definitive look to them. There's a certain, uh, just their muscles, the boldness, the thickness, the fact that it's not as agile, the fact they're so, and a lot of the guys today who are so agile and their muscles actually kind of bounce with them and moves around. The best thing I could compare it to is if you look at a woman who's all natural as opposed to a woman with implants, there's going to be a difference. You have a woman on implants jumping on a trampoline compared to a woman who's all natural and she's flopping all over the place. She's probably going to poke her eye out. There's a difference. And you see that in the steroid use as well. Guys on steroids opposed to guys who aren't on steroids. There is a definitive look, something where you can tell, but, uh, 
it is a shame, and it is sad that we lost so many because of that and because they felt they had no other option. They felt they had to so that they could make the top money, so that they could be at the top of the card, and that they could be somebody because you had to be somebody. You had to have that definitive look, the look of a superstar, the look of someone larger than life, and that's what steroids brought to a lot of those guys. So uh, it's a shame, and we lost, like I said, far too many. And we hope with the wellness policy in check that it tries to, you know, we try not to see as many guys, and hopefully they don't get away with it. Of course, there are always ways, but uh, we hope that by the wellness policy intact that it saves a lot more lives and that, you know, 20 years from now we won't be seeing that list as high as it was in the last 30 years, and we hope it gets less and less. Amen to that. Tom, anything to add before we wrap it up? No, I think it's. I, I think the steroids is definitely more in pro wrestling than in baseball. Back in the day, my hero was Mickey Mantle, and he hit it over the fence every time, and didn't didn't need no enhancement of nothing. That's a very good point. Back then, there was no, there really wasn't the steroids like there is today, and most notably the nineties. As JJ pointed out, the McGuire Sosa uh, epic uh, run there all, all battled on uh, Juice. Um, they, uh, I think we got our topic for next week. Real tits <laughs> against fake tits. What do you prefer? <laughs> or natural. I don't know. I'll take them either way. There you or go. Or natural. <laughs> I like a variety. Black ones, white ones, it doesn't matter what kind of titties they are. As long as we have big titties on the mothership, you understand? Because when the American Dream Dusty Rhodes rides into town on a horse and wagon or in a Cadillac, brother, there's got to be big titties wanting, to sign, wanting me to sign autographs. You see, I slept in alleys and dined on pork and beans, but tonight I truly had a good time dining with kings. <laughs> Even though we didn't eat nothing. <laughs> okay. We'll speak to you guys next week. We'll leave All right, you have a good week. Good night, everybody. Good take night. it easy.
just for tonight. 